Welcome to what was formerly known as the Box 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 Podcast. A uh, little bit of a bump. Marco, why don't you tell the people uh, what's going on? Yeah, so that's a hand up on our part. We, you know, we're coming and pitching some ideas uh, for the name and Box 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 Pod was just something that really stood out to us. Little beknownst to us that there is actually already a Box 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 podcast that revolves around Formula One. So with that being said, whoops, yeah, just a slight blunder on checking that one up. Uh, but with that being said, we are kind of on on the hunt for a new podcast name have a couple that ideas that we've been floating around but you know haven't made any set decisions so if you're one of the tons of listeners listening to this and have any recommendations we would love to hear some input and you know would like to put you on kind of an executive producer if uh, yours makes the cut so just you know keep those ideas rolling and uh, send them send them our way yeah, very on brand for us to start a podcast and then as we're uploading it, uh, you know, realize that the name has already been taken and we said the name a couple times in the first episode. So yay for us, shows how uh, prepared and, and good of planners we are, but uh, but here we are anyway, bringing you the Formula One content that you deserve. Um, speaking of which, just talking about things that have just happened in the last week here. Um, only one thing that we really want to highlight, I think we, we don't want to go into everything, everything, but you know, main thing that's come out of this week is Nico Hulkenberg has back on the grid in a reserve role for Aston Martin. Um, you know, he raced for some races for two races last year with racing point when Sergio Perez got COVID. Um, very excited to see him back. Marco, what do you think of Hulk? Yeah, I'm really excited. He uh, surpassed a lot of people's expectations last year when he did replace Checo. Had a little bit of a blunder his first race, not being able to uh, get the, the car started, but had a, a nice following and showing after that. So it's going to be nice to see him back. It was pretty entertaining. It seems like he's well-liked between all the drivers and and just hearing their their thoughts about you know him being out of the f1 for so long and some of the troubles he might get back with you know his neck strength and and being sore all over so except for that um excited i'm i'm actually not positive if he has gotten rid of the man braces or not uh, on his teeth but i i hope not those always are entertaining to look at freak me out a little bit uh when you have adults wearing braces but um and i think that's you know a, a nice talking point all right, moving into the content for this week's episode here. Uh, mainly only three things we're going to talk about. One, uh, dri- driver spotlight. Marco's going to talk about Pierre Gasly, the current Alpha Tauri racer that races alongside Yuki Tsunoda. Uh, a couple of frequently asked questions from kind of newbie fans that I uh, think it's easy to start liking Formula One, but once you know a couple things, uh, the sport becomes a lot cooler and a lot of things make more sense. So we're going to talk about some frequently asked questions. And then finally, we're going to talk about Rich Energy, who was a sponsor for Haas F1 team back in 2019. Kind of cool story there. Uh, I wouldn't say cool as much as just hilarious, uh, hilarious happenings there. So um, moving on, do you want to go ahead and talk, start talking about our boy Pierre, Marco? Let's do it. Yeah, so a little bit about Pierre, the 25-year-old race, racer from Rouen, France. So like many of the drivers, Gasly started off at a young age karting, uh, had a number of family members with racing backgrounds, so it seems like, as he says, it's kind of been in his blood. Had a pretty successful career prior to his F1 start, so including a 2016 Grand Prix 2 Series Championship 
and a couple runners up uh, from some other series as well. In 2017, he made his Formula One debut with Toro Rosso at the Malaysian Grand Prix. Uh, 2018 continued with Toro Rosso uh, having uh, some decent success uh, with, with the team and actually in 2019 uh, moved to Red Bull. And so during that 2019 year, Gasly really struggled with the RB15. The RB15 is the name of the Red Bull car that they used for the 2019 season. And he was consistently off Max's pace. Um, several several races, he was actually being laughed by him. He only out-qualified Verstappen once when Verstappen was uh, hampered with a red flag in qualifying. And his best result of that season while with Red Bull was the British, British Grand Prix when he finished fourth. That was pretty much the only race that he was in, com- in competition with some of the front runners. Uh, as even past those races, he became an increasing pressure. During the Hungarian Grand Prix, like I mentioned before, he was actually lapped by Verstappen. This race actually was really big because if he had someone, a teammate to, to be with him in the mix, that uh, that it was expected that Verstappen would have won. But unfortunately, with um, being having no assistance, he was eventually passed by Lewis for the lead and the win. So even with all this going on, I feel like Christian Horner is typically a guy to still have his racers back throughout. So you saw this with with uh, Albon as well, where he still says they have confidence in him and, and they really want him to, to see him in, in that Red Bull. Uh, but unfortunately, a little bit after that, ahead uh, of the Belgian Grand Prix, Gasly was actually demoted uh, back to the junior team, Toro Rosso, with Alexander Albon, as I had mentioned, taking his place. For the rest of that 2019 season, he had five point finishes with his best finish being at the Brazilian GP where he actually finished second place. So actually really turned it around after getting that demotion and it was Toro Rosa's best finish since 2008. Then in 2020, the new newly rebranded AlphaTauri, Gasly finished, had four top 10 finishes across the first seven races of the year. So really started the year off really strong. Um... Gasly's first F1 win came in 2020 at the Italian GP. Uh, it was a pretty odd race where he had a, a really early pit. There was a, a yellow flag that he eventually passed a ton of cars that went in for um, for cars that went into the pit. And then uh, towards the end of the race, he was actually third. But Lewis had a long penalty for pitting too early where there was um, uh, you know, a no pit sign that he ignored. And then Stroll was in second place and went way wide of the chicane. He was able to hold off Carlos Sainz for the last few laps and a pretty exciting finish. And it was actually the first French driver in 24 years to get an F1 victory. So he finished the 2020 2020 season in 10th with 75 points. Uh, He had made many claims that he was ready to make the return back to Red Bull. I think he understood some of his... um, his rookie mistakes and kind of that uh, the um, issues that he was facing in that 2019 year, but actually ended up staying at AlphaTauri for the 2021 season. And so his first race of the season was actually a little diff- difficult for him. He finished 17th in Bahrain. There was only one person behind him, which was Nicholas Latifi with Mazpin and Alonso not finishing the race. So um, that was, you know, watching him that last race, you would think similar to Checo, who started dead last. He easily was making up ground throughout, but Gasly was always struggling from behind. He was, you know, it felt like he was around 
18th to 14th throughout the race and really never had that pace to, to pass some of these uh, lower cars, slower cars. Um, and then just a little kind of a um, tidbit about him. So he actually was grew up and was very close to Antoine Hubert, who um, was tragically passed away in 2019 in, in late August uh, during an F2 race at Spa. And I, that was something that, you know, the F1 world really kind of got behind. It was a really tragic story. Antoine was apparently a fantastic kid and someone that he was really close to. So um, I think he made a lot of uh, his races out to Antoine, some of his success and um, something that was, you know, that has still resonated to for him today. But that was pretty much a, a big a little blimp into the life of Pierre Gasly, you know, his, his startup as well as some of uh, his experience in formula one. Yeah. Interesting stuff, man. Pierre's an awesome driver. Um, I think he's pretty consistent at getting the most out of the car. Obviously that, uh, that win last year at the uh, Tuscan grand prix was so cool. Um, he'd spent some time on the podium after crying a little bit and uh, yeah, just a, a good driver. I'm excited to see kind of where his career trajectory um, goes from here after taking that big hit from, from getting demoted by Red Bull. So, yep, awesome job. Moving into the next sector here, we want to talk about, like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, just some kind of things that once you know them, I feel like Formula One makes a lot more sense. So if you are a hardcore fan and watch every weekend, then this might not be for you. Um, this is more for like the, the people on the up and up in terms of F1 fanhood. But um, starting off... We got a question that is, what is DRS? Matthew, what is uh, what is the drag reduction system or DRS? So, right. The drag re- reduction system is a movable rear wing. And if you look at the back of each of those cars, you'll see these little panels. Once you move those panels up, you, you gain substantial amount of, of speed just because the air is able to flow through uh, the car quicker. And in order to, to be able to do this, you actually need to be within a second of the car in front of you. And there's only certain areas of the track that you actually be able to have DRS intact. And these are usually the the main straightaways within the track. Um, And so this is something that you can't really cheat on. So there's not like, hey, you know, you're right around a second and you can kind of jump the gun. These are actually automatic systems. So, um, you know, once you are within a second, that's when you have the opportunity to, to do DRS. So the next question that had come up was asking about the halo of the car. Yeah, uh, the halo of the car is a culmination of um, a lot of people dying, frankly, in this sport. So, um, yeah, it sucks, but just given the speed and given kind of how um, the the nature of racing is at that speed, um, people die. And it used to be, I feel like it used to be every, like every other year, it was like, oh, yep, another one's dead. Um, but, uh, but after like, you know, after some good thought, the halo was something that they put up. It was essentially to guard the driver, um, while he's in, while he is in the cockpit, um, to not have, you know, to not have any debris, you know, any car, if he flips over his head's not, you know, hitting the ground, um, it was, it was super heavily contested at first because of mostly aesthetics. Uh, I think some, you know, diehard F1 fans would point out that like this kind of takes away the look of the F1 car. Um, and so when it came into play, a lot of people liked it cause it was like, Hey, people are going to be dying less now. But a lot of people said, look, this, you know, it's a dangerous sport to begin with. People are probably going to end up dying, um, you know, at some point, no matter what, but, um, but yeah, so highly contested piece essentially to just 
uh, protect the driver while he's in the cockpit. Um, and then something that kind of that that we should highlight when we're talking about halos is two things actually. Uh, Fernando Alonso came down on Charles Leclerc when Fernando Alonso went airborne in a race. Um, people said if it weren't for the halo, then that would probably have ended Charles' life. Um, and then also Roman Grosjean at the Secure Grand Prix. Um, hitting the barrier and kind of having that safety cell, that halo, uh, protect him. Um, it, it, you know, helped him get out of the car just by something to grab onto. And it stopped literally, I think they, they said that he would have gotten decapitated just by that barrier um, if yeah. the halo hadn't been there. So, yeah, that's the halo. Uh, Marco, why don't you talk about understeer? Right. So we hear a lot of things about understeer and oversteer within the races. And so understeer is when the front of the car is actually sliding. You'll see this on some, you know, more difficult turns. But a lot of the drivers say that understeer is the worst thing that can happen to a driver just because when you're doing that in these the car, the front of the car and, you know, where it tells you where you're going won't go in the direction you want it to go. So this was something that if you're going to have one of the two, you definitely don't want understeer. Um, on the other hand of things, Ian, would you like to go through oversteer? Yeah, the easiest way to talk about oversteer is like Tokyo Drift, right? Like any any kind of Fast and Furious where you see like, you know, the rear end of the car sliding more than the front end of the car. Um, it's, it's essentially the oversteer means that if you turn the wheel to the right, you go way further to the right or your, you know, your car whips around so that you're pointed in more of an angle um, than you would normally. So, yeah, understeer and oversteer. If you think of oversteer as, as the, uh, the, the Tokyo Drift, then you can see understeer is just like you're steering less than you, than you want to be steering if you're all the way to the, to the left or right. Okay, and lastly, for the frequently asked questions, we're just going to talk about the tires a little bit. When you see a Formula One car racing, you're going to see on the outside of the tire either, uh, you know, one of five colors, essentially white, yellow, or red uh, most of the time, or you can see a green or a blue. We're just going to start with the white, yellow, and red. Um, Pirelli, who's the sponsor of F1, will give out five different tire compounds, um, C1, C2, C3, C4, and C5. Of that selection, the FIA will pick three of them um, in consecutive order, so either one, two, three, two, three, four, or three, four, five, um, with one being the hardest. And a hard tire is going to be kind of like the most durable, but the less grip, right? So um, if you want to go on long stints, you want to go on your hard tire, which is the white one. Um, mediums or the yellow tires are kind of a balance between, um, good balance between performance and durability. Um, you know, very adaptable tire. It's still somewhat soft, but not as soft as the soft tire, which is what you'll see in the, the red tires. The red tires are kind of like the all systems go. If there's kind of a, you know, a, a two person race at the end, or if, if it's kind of a cutthroat finish, um, you're going to see just, you know, people putting on reds and, and kind of going for it. Um, the other two tires you'll see are a slick tire, like the wets. Um, this is specifically for when it's raining, the design of the tire just makes it so that drivers have more grip. Um, and then the intermediates are the green. Uh, these are basically basically after it's done raining, but the track is still a little bit wet. Um, just without any standing water, that's when you're going to see the green tires. That's kind of what the tires are. The main thing that you're going to be worried about when you're watching the race um, is white being the hardest, the most long-lasting, yellow being kind of the intermediate, a little less long-lasting, but better performance, better grip, and then the red tires, which are the softs, um, that you're going to be kind of the for the short stints, but when you can get the fastest track time. 
And then a little thing to, to look at when you're looking at qualify, qualifying, in Q2 of qualify, qualifiers, the fastest lap you race on on those tires is the set of tires you you start off in the race with. So that's something that a lot of teams play with. So you'll mainly see Mercedes and uh, Red Bull where, you know, they have the assumption that they're going to make it to Q3. Well, use and go out in their mediums and try to win on their mediums to start off the race on mediums. If you're really battling for, um, you know, trying to make it through Q2 to Q3, you'll see a lot of the guys stick with their, the reds or their softs just because um, they are the fastest, but they're starting off with that. So they, they're not going to actually start the race. They're starting the race off. They don't have as long of a life, but uh, so that's some ta- tactical things that you should be kind of looking out for uh, during qualifying. Yeah, perfect. Moving on to our last sector here, we are going to talk about probably one of my favorite stories just from an entertainment standpoint. Um, They touched on it a little bit in Drive to Survive Season 2. There's a little bit more to the story, though, than I think Netflix was wanting to add on. Uh, And and I think they, they, they just left some stuff out on purpose. So, starting out here. Formula One is a sport of competition at multiple levels. So you have drivers against their own teammate, drivers against other drivers on other teams, constructors versus constructors. Uh, and at the head of it all, right, there's really, there's really like the main competition, which is the reason for the sport, and that's marketing. Like most F1 teams break even, break exactly even with their budgets. Um, if they don't, they lose money. And the reason that they do that is because it's all, you know, it's basically just a marketing platform for these big brands. Um, the underlying purpose of the sport is really for watchers to say, wow, that's a fast car. You know, I like that brand. I like that engine. And through that, there is some prestige, which is the reason why teams, you know, pay for this very, very expensive sport. This is a story of another type of competition within F1, and it's actually between two energy drinks. It's Rich Energy and Red Bull. Now, uh, competition is is kind of an inaccurate way to frame this because Red Bull is this massive marketing machine with products sold in 167 out of 195 countries in the world. And Rich Energy, on the other hand, took a look at their LinkedIn page along with their rebranded names page. Um, and they have like a little less than 10 employees total. So we're dealing, we're really David and Goliath story here. The rich energy saga, uh, starts with William story. Who's a 40 year old ish Brit out of London. Um, he founded rich energy in 2015. Uh, it was just an idea like any great brand started out as kind of just an idea. But if you look at William story as a person, um, you can like, you can tell something's up with this guy upon first glance. Like he looks like a kind of off brand bond villain, um, <laughs> kind of super long beard, a little pudgy around the edges. Uh, and without even hearing this guy like speak immediately kind of like throws out red flags. And then once you hear him speak, you're like, Oh, this guy, there's something, there's a lot like, you know, there's a lot about this guy that kind of seems sketchy, but, um, his idea was essentially seeing Red Bull be this massive, incredible company that everybody's, you know, everybody knows whether or not you like the drink. You probably know the brand. You admire, you know, the partnerships in motor racing. They partner with people in esports. Um, they've, you know, they partner with cool companies like GoPro to put out some cool videos on YouTube or Twitter or something like that. Um, Red Bull is basically like a cooler, better executed version of Monster Brand energy drinks. Story saw Red Bull and said, uh, okay, we need to have a little bit of a more healthy competition between players in the energy drink industry. So he founds Rich Energy. 
Rich Energy is kind of a sleek looking drink with a black and goldish color palette with antlers as the logo. This is kind of important, so remember the antlers there. And a lot of teams have sponsors whose deals are smaller in size of that than a, than a title sponsor. So for example, CNBC, the business news channel in America, has a sponsorship deal with McLaren. Um, you, pro you probably didn't know that, and that's because uh, the, their logo on the livery of the car is crowded out by other sponsors on the very expensive real estate of the car itself. So you know, you bet you bet if I didn't tell you, you probably could go the whole season without knowing that the American Business News Channel sponsors McLaren. But besides the point, Rich Energy didn't want to be just a small sponsor on a car. They took it to the absolute maximum level that a sponsor can, which is having their brand actually in the name of the team itself. So Rich Energy Haas Formula One team um, was made, was created after a $35 million down payment to Haas by Rich Energy. It's a little sketchy of where this money came from because the balance sheets of Rich Energy between 2017 and 2018, um, it showed that they had a little less than a thousand US dollars uh, to their name. Like they had a brand that some people knew about who were into motor racing, but they didn't have a product. Nobody knows where th where this is sold. Instead of Red Bull, like I mentioned, having 165 countries that sell their product, Rich Energy was essentially just an idea. So if you followed 2019 uh, Formula One or watched Drive to Survive, you saw that Haas had a really tough year in 2019. Uh, they went from 5th in 2018 down to 9th in 2019. And during their fall from grace, like during the season, not after the final results or not after the season was over, but during the season, William Story tweets before Haas even knows anything about it, that they've fired Haas F1 team due to poor on track performance. So kind of out of the blue, middle of the season, Rich Energy sees Haas not really performing and saying, actually, we don't want to sponsor you. We're just, we're just going to not pay you money anymore. Um, keep in mind that only $35 million up front was the, was the payment that they made, not a single cent after that. Um, lots to unpack there, right? Just because there's a lot of thought that goes into making a car's livery and, and designing you know, merchandise that people sell for fans, that they give to the engineers, and all of that has and all of that has the Rich Energy logo on it. But Rich Energy is not a sponsor, so they have to kind of you know, re-engineer their entire look of their livery. Um, to fit all of their marketing partners on there. So um, it's not just like a peel and replace stickers on the car. Like the, they, a lot of work went into this and Rich Energy just popped out in the middle of the race saying, actually, we don't want to pay you anymore. We, we, we changed our mind. Even the antlers, which I mentioned earlier, that are their logo, um, they had to peel those off and later found out that the antlers weren't their logo by, by ownership. Like there's actually an exact copy of White's Bikes um, which is a biking company out of England. I think there's like less than 20 people there, but Rich Energy just saw the logo of the Stag Antlers and said, perfect, we're going to steal that and make that R. So it's kind of a perfect metaphor for who this guy is. Um, they ended up going to court over that like White Spikes did, uh, and he ended up having a settled upon amount that it, they were supposed to pay. And uh, to this day, I don't think that they've paid that. So again, you can kind of like see the, the little bit of a character development of this William Story guy. Um, but lots of reports have theorized that Rich Energy was simply like kind of like an energy drink like Ponzi scheme where money was coming in for funding from these Russian investors 
and that was just getting pumped into the F1 team for brand exposure without having a product for the brand exposure to benefit. Um, so like I said, despite all these Twitter videos, YouTube videos showing trucks full of these deliveries of these cans, most agree with the widespread reports that these are like all just staged, which is hilarious. Like they're going to great lengths to make you think that they have a product when they don't. Like nobody has had a rich energy drink that hasn't been sponsored <laughs> Obvious conclusion here is that it's kind of all a front, like Rich Energy is all a front. William Story is sitting atop of one of the most preposterous, hilarious scams that, that, like, exists in motor racing. Um, The legend of Rich Energy was set out to be a blunder. Sorry. All right. How am I doing? Am I going too fast? My heart's racing a little bit. All right. Scary. Scary? Scary. Scary. Uh, William Story is sitting atop one of the most preposterous scams that exist in motor racing. Um, and like, 